and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Amen, everybody. This is Brother Frank back with another episode of The Remnant Call, and just glad that everyone's here with us tonight. Um, we've had an exciting uh, series of programs uh, on The Remnant Call. Brother Benjamin's been on here, and uh, just if you haven't caught the last four episodes, uh, including the last episode on The Lion of Judah, uh, go back and check them out. It's a full, basically a kind of a four-part series that kind of build on each other and lead up to a culmination. You know, folks, at the end of this hour, uh, with everything that's going on, with all the warnings, with all of the, the knowledge of what's going on in the world, unless you are deep within our Savior, underneath His wings, unless you are walking intimately and close with God, um, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have of this hour. What matters is that you know the one who gives the knowledge, and you know the one who who will take you through this hour. And and so with that being said, tonight's guest is on here for a reason, and that is going to be Brother David Murray to share with us. It's amazing how last week's program was on the Lion of Judah, and this week is going to be on knowing the Lion and the Lamb. It's all about Jesus this week, folks, and so I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm concerned that um, there's so much going on in the world and there's so much distraction out there that too many people are getting sidetracked um, by news and by information, and, and we're forgetting about the relationship with our Lord and Savior. You know, folks, the, if you look back at the beginning, go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, it, you know, the, the problem was in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't sin initially. That was not the problem. The problem was a broken relationship with the Lord. See, when you begin to walk away from God, when you begin to lend your ear to another, it will ultimately result in sin, like with Adam and Eve. See, the problem was not sin. It was the broken walk, which led to sin. And so, folks, we've got to start fixing the problem and not the sin. That's why you got to sometimes allow the Lord to lay the axe all the way down to the root, to get down to the very core, to get down into the deepest, most inner parts, so that He can expose them, and then He can fix them, and renew that walk with Him. Well, I can't think of a better person to bring on this show to talk about our walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus than David Murray. And with that, I'm going to bring him on. Brother David, are you here with us tonight? I am, Frank. How are you? Brother, I am good. And, you know, having you on, Dave, it's just comforting. It really is. Um, I appreciate you taking your time out to be with us here on the Remnant Call and look forward to what God has just laid on your heart to share with us, uh, David, in this hour. And so, Brother, I, I just ask that you would um, just, if you could, open us up with some prayer this evening and let's jump into the show. 
Amen. Thanks, Frank. We'll do. I'm, I'm excited about tonight's, uh, tonight's broadcast. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. Lord, as two brothers in the Lord, I know I speak for Brother Frank, that we come into unity with faith. I thank you for the blessing and the honor that we live, in fact, in a free land where we can freely partake of the gospel, where we are still free to fellowship. For, Father, there is no underground church in the United States of America. We could stand on any street corner, on any box stop, and proclaim that Christ is Lord. Father, I thank you for that season not being squandered by us in the body of Christ in this hour. I thank you that we do not squander the freedoms that we still do have amidst all of the tribulation and the turmoil as we approach your return. Father, I speak your life upon the airways. Bless this body, Lord God. Bless the listeners. Thank you for blessing this time. I thank you, Lord, that we have the courage to grab a hold of your goodness, to grab a hold of your nature and plant it deep within our spirit, man, and let it change us in the way we think, in the way we feel, that we begin to see, think, and feel what is on your heart and on your mind, Lord God, that we come into the full stature of your nature, Lord Jesus. I thank you for the honor of serving and bringing forth a small piece of your words and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, David, thank you so much for that. And brother, um, just share really quick with the audience, you have a radio program also that you do um, uh, every other Friday, correct? Uh, yeah, I, it's a blog talk channel. It's called, um, I'm, I'm a guest on Dorothy Carruthers uh, on blog talk radio. If you look up Dorothy Carruthers blog talk radio, I have a broadcast I do air about every other Friday uh, and this season it's, it's, it's been uh, about every third Friday but typically it's called Feel for Your House and uh, so I, I do some teaching there as well. Amen. Well thank you for that folks. Please go over and check David out. You, you will not be upset. Uh, David you, you know I've shared with you many times um, the influence that you've had uh, on me uh, in my life uh, listening to your program even before I got to know you uh, as a person, uh, and I've always appreciated that because the hunger for the deeper walk is—it's really what it's about. And and so, David, the Lord has got a message for you to share with us tonight, brother. I'm just going to ask that you just dive right in and, and share with our audience what's on your heart. Uh, thanks, Frank. It's an honor. It's an honor to uh, to know you as a brother in Christ. It's an honor as I just continue to to more and more get to know you and, and to call you friend and to, to be able to speak. What, what I'd love to share with tonight is, um, is, is knowing Jesus and what does that mean, knowing both the lion and the lamb. And one of the things that the body of Christ, much of the body of Christ is struggling with in this generation is that to the degree that we only know parts of the nature, parts of the heart of our Father, if, if we choose to turn an eye, to turn a blind eye away from other areas of his heart, what it does is it takes the areas we do have a revelation of him and it begins to distort them. And so the, the, the scriptures say that we're one church, one family, uh, one fellowship, one spirit, one head, one Lord. You know, we're one body with Christ as the head. 
But the problem is, is that the church in this hour, by and large, suffers from schizophrenia. And what I mean by that is that we have members of the body of Christ that want to look at God only as the lion. And so we focus on what we believe it means to be the lion, Jesus our lion. And then we have other parts in the body of Christ that will only discuss and will only tolerate and will only entertain teachings and scriptures and, and blogs and, and broadcasts that deal with Jesus if they refer to him as the Lamb. And the reality is, is that we have to know him as both. And to the degree that we are not willing to look at Jesus and understand what it means to be who he is as the lion and the lamb will distort our understanding of everything that we hear, every scripture, uh, every word he speaks to our spirit man, uh, everything that we hear. And the reason why that is, Frank, is because we are spirit beings. The scriptures say that the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home inside our spirit. Our spirits are born again. Our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions, is the gatekeeper. Those do not become regenerated the second we receive Christ. Romans 12, 2, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, uh, the entire New Testament makes that very clear. Our mind is transformed as we have the ability to grasp what God is saying to our spirit man. And then as our spirit begins to speak to our mind, our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, must choose to submit to what the Holy Spirit is trying to impart to us. And that's the process of transformation. That's the, one of the processes of growing in intimacy. But the problem in this hour is that for, for many of us in the body of Christ, we came, well, one, when we come to Christ, we come as fractured and broken, right? Very few of us came with perfect modeling. So we tend Amen. to look at the Father through the eyes of our upbringing. Right? We, we, we perceive our Heavenly Father, for the most part, the way we were related to by our earthly fathers or father figures. The second part is that we sat under, by and large, in whatever form it is, whether it's the traditional church, institutional church, or even in this day now, in the schism, uh, the postmodern neo-traditional fellowship, wherever we choose to meet, if we're sitting and hearing teaching that does not teach about our identity as children of God, it will skew everything that we read about him and even everything that our spirit is picking up when he speaks to us because our soul is the gatekeeper. Everything passes through our understanding. Proverbs 23 tells us, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. And 2 Corinthians 10, 5, says that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, right? We like to quote that, 2 Corinthians 10.4, but 10.5 tells us what we're to do because we're in a spiritual battle, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He's talking to born-again believers. So if we're already spirit-filled born-again believers, and we have to then take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, that tells us that there's information we will be gleaning that must be taken captive and submitted to the nature and the truth of who Jesus Christ is. So if we do not learn to recognize what is truth from what is false, we'll never grow up into maturity. 
will never experience the peace of Christ, which is one of the greatest parts of the turmoil that the church is in in this age, is we have no peace. Right? We're devoid of rest. Jesus says, I've given you the Sabbath rest, and, and I will keep in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed on me. But the church is, is lacking peace with rest. Forget about power, dominion, authority, intimacy, uh, and the, the ability to fulfill the Great Commission. Right? If we do not understand who our Heavenly Father is, and that picture was given to us by the earth ministry of Jesus Christ, if we do not understand the earth walk of Jesus and understand what the lion and the lamb mean, we will always be tossed to and fro. Ephesians 4.11 warns us of that. The body of Christ was given um, each other so that as we grow into maturity, we train the next generation to grow in unity, to grow in our understanding, and to grow into the full stature and nature of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about today, friend, um, is the lion and the lamb. Amen. I'm looking forward to it, brother. The, well, this is one I've been, I've been sitting on this verse, and I keep coming back to it more and more and more. Uh, Revelation, we're going to get into Revelation uh, chapter 5, and I'm going to read that. And, and, and this is where most of us, Right, to talk about Jesus as the lion or Jesus as the lamb reference. Because in Revelation chapter 5, it, it mentions Jesus as both the aspect of him as the lion of Judah and it, it mentions him as the lamb that was slain. And what we first must understand is that the lion and the lamb are aspects of love. They are manifestations of his nature. Now, the scriptures say that God is love. And what happens is, depending upon which camp we sit on, we, we, if we don't embrace that the lion is love and that the lamb is love, we come away with a corrupt understanding of what love is. And so we will begin to ignore scriptures that talk about aspects of his nature because they don't fit into our broken, fearful, and hurting theology. And so what he's entreating us in this hour to do is to be brave enough. It takes courage to allow the Lord to look at, give him permission to look at our wounds and our hurts and our pains and say, okay, what I've come to believe about who I am as a child of God, inconsistent with what he says about us. What I believe him to be is inconsistent with the entire word of God. It's inconsistent with the earth ministry of Jesus Christ, who the scriptures say was the perfect image and the exact representation of his nature. When the apostles were going, they were so upset that Jesus is saying, I have to go, my time is coming. I have to fulfill the great redemptive plan, right? They say to him, they're so overcome with grief, they say, Lord, if you just show us the Father, that'll be enough. So if you have to go, just show us the Father, and, and we'll manage until we see you again. And Jesus looks at him, he's like, I'm paraphrasing here, are you guys kidding me? He's like, after all this time, don't you understand? He who has seen me has seen the Father. I am the Father of one. So what's he saying? Guys, I spent three and a half years on this earth giving you the perfect picture of your heavenly dad. And so now fast forward 2,000 years, and the body of Christ 
still doesn't have a picture of who our Heavenly Father is because we have rejected the picture that Jesus gave us about who he is. Before we can understand who the lion is, we first have to look at the lamb. And so that's what we're going to talk about, Frank. The lamb, if we, well, let's, you know what, let's do this. Let's give a point of reference. Let's start a foundation here. I'm going to read uh, Revelation 5, uh, starting in, uh, well, this is, this is John. So John is taken up, whether he's translocated or translated or spirits there. He's up in heaven. And verse 5 <clears throat> says, and I saw, this is John speaking, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Verse 4, so I wept because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. And I looked, verse 6, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it was slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Here's, guys, what I want us to hone in on that we're going to talk about. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl of incense. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And here's what I want to focus in on tonight, Frank, is that we must understand both aspects, both manifestations of Jesus' nature of love. But here's what, with body of Christ, I'm imploring to just let it sink in right now. It was not the lion that opened that seal. It was the Lamb. The Lamb of God was the one who took the scroll and opened it up. Here's why that's important, guys. The lion represents the manifestation. It's the lion of Judah. Jesus is love manifested through perfect justice. The lion is the perfect judge. He is the perfect king. He is one that we can sit at his feet and know there is no corruption. There's no wrongdoing. There's nothing unclean that is permitted to pass under his kingdom or before his feet or in his throne or out into the extent of his kingdom. That is the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah is the one whom we can rest at his feet because his is a kingdom and a government of perfect justice. There's no corruption. When we stand before him, though, we are not looking for the lion, guys, because perfect justice sends us to hell. The lamb 
from the tribe of Judah, his love manifested in his mercy. It is mercy that is manifested through him expressing himself as the lamb on the cross. Guys, here's the key. The lamb is the culmination of the great redemptive plan. When Adam and Eve sinned, it set forth the lamb to come to the earth. The lion always reigned. The lion is his nature manifested in perfect justice. It was sin that necessitated the lamb coming to earth. And for us to understand that the lion is coming back, that sin will be judged, that tribulations and bowls and seals will be opened, we simply cannot understand the love in that. Love manifested in the lion until we can understand who he is as the lamb. And much of us in the body of Christ have rejected him as the lamb, slain before every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And if we do not understand the lamb, we will never have peace in our lives. So I'm going to go over a couple of scripture verses. Let's start with beginning to unfold what it is that he is the lamb. John 3.16, John 3.17, we all know 3.16. John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 6.38, for I, Jesus speaking, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Ever stop and think on that, guys? What is his good pleasure? His good pleasure is intimacy. Right? If we go back to John 3.17, we just read, God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. The lamb was sent to save us. His good pleasure, his reconciliation, it's intimacy. Now here's where we have to stop. Here's where we have to break away from theology. Right? Theology is our beliefs. Theology is, we are not meant to live by theology. What do I mean by that? Theology is the platform in which we are meant to experience God. Theology are the bumper guards in which we can safely engage the realm of the spirit. If we only live by our mind, by a soul that has not allowed our spirit man to change, theology becomes our new taskmaster. We become held into the bondage of our own wounds and pains, and we use theology to justify our hurts and hide behind it. So for many years, what I said, and Frank, you and I have talked about this a lot, I'll say, well, I'm fine. Everything's great. What are you talking about? I, I accept that. Well, here's how we can ask ourselves some locating questions. How well do we know him as the lamb? Here's some questions. How do you think he sees you? Okay. How do you think he sees you? These are things, guys, you can write down on your own if you like, and then you can compare them up against the word of God and see how hard your gears are grinding in your soul how hard your mind, your will, your emotion fights against the scriptures 
okay? How do we believe he sees me? What are his thoughts toward you right now? Right now, what do you believe his thoughts are toward you? Now, to prevent us from from giving ourselves pat answers and hiding behind our own wounds and not allowing ourselves to really be honest, let's look at these questions. How does this belief, we believe God loves us, he's the lamb, yes and amen, right? How does this belief reflect on how you feel toward others? What is your natural, spiritual, first impulse toward a stranger? To those that have wounded you, to those that have backslidden, to the body of Christ living in sin, what is your first impulse, your first thought? Anger, revenge. For a lot of us, that, that's true. I know I can relate to that. I know there was a time in my walk, Frank, where, you know, I called myself a born-again uh, born again Pharisee. Uh, you know, uh, on my blog, I, 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 I write as well on a, on a blog, Zeal for Your House, and, and um, on uh, my background about me, where I came from, it goes into more detail there. But basically, I didn't know the nature of God. I didn't know how much he loved me. I didn't know how to apply it. I didn't understand how to apply that if God truly loves me and died for me, and he really said, uh, Colossians 1.21, that I am blameless, I am holy, I am without spot or blemish. In fact, let's read one, Colossians 1.21. And you that were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. That is what the blood of Jesus Christ did for us. He made us holy and blameless and unreprovable in his sight. That means we cannot be condemned. Ephesians 1, 4. According as he has chosen us before him, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Hebrews 10.10, by which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he had made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Last one, Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, in which he has made us accepted in the Beloved. I'm going to give you one more. I just can't resist. First Corinthians six eleven, but you were washed past tense. You were sanctified past tense. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See what happens is Frank is that most of us in the body of Christ, I should say many of us, right? many of us in the body of Christ, we are not taught what the cross gave us. We are not taught that we have been made. We have been gifted the gift of righteousness, and because of that, our performance, how much we pray or read or study or how much we reflect the goodness of God, the, the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestation of his power, uh, how well we, quote-unquote, behave, none of that garbage changes the fact that we have been made the righteous of Christ. That's called positional righteousness. Relational righteousness means how we choose to relate to him. 
Positionally, it'll never change. We've been made positionally righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a gift. Righteousness is what grants us salvation. Can't have salvation without the gift of righteousness. So for those of us struggling that say, Lord, I thank you that I'm just saved and I'm so unworthy, that's an aspect of spiritual schizophrenia. Salvation is the byproduct of being clothed in his righteousness so that we can come before the throne of grace without being obliterated into, uh, 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 into dust. Because we stand before him clothed in the righteousness of Christ. No righteousness, no salvation. And to the degree that we don't embrace that, we're going to care what other people think. We're going to be afraid of rejection. We're going to be afraid of failure. We're going to be afraid of uh, what's going to happen. We're going to live fearful, timid lives, blown by every wind of doctrine, blown around by the, 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 the demonic mindset of this world. And that demonic, demonic mindset doesn't change just because we accept Christ as Savior. Much of the church is moving in a demonic mindset. What's a demonic mindset? Rejecting righteousness is the source of our identity. If we do not, in the areas that we do not embrace the gift of righteousness as the sole source of our self-worth and identity, we are walking in a demonic mindset. We're walking in agreement with Satan. And James 1 says that a double-minded man won't get much, don't expect to get much for the Lord. Because he withholds? No. Because if we are contending with God, if we are arguing with God, and he will not violate our free will, we're saying we're coming before him in one spot, and we're rejecting him in the same breath. And we we use these cliches all the time. Uh, You know, the Lord's a gentleman. He won't embarrass me. Let's, Let's tear down that false doctrine. That famous cliche, well, God's a gentleman. He's not going to embarrass me. Embarrassment, brothers and sisters, embarrassment means I care what other people think. A man or a woman who lives knowing they are completely accepted, holy, and blameless in the eyes of the Father, in the eyes of the Son, and the Holy Spirit cannot get embarrassed. It's impossible. The scriptures say that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured, uh, excuse me, despised the shame of the cross. Despised means to lightly esteem. Being hung naked up on that cross, whipped and beaten. Was shameful, right? The scriptures say that Jesus lightly esteemed it. He counted it as nothing for the joy set before him. Guys, you want to know what the joy that set before him was that allowed him to so easily scorn that shame and torture? Was you. The joy set before him was reconciliation with a child that doesn't know him, that was living a life of sin, that doesn't know their value in his eyes. David, if I could just make something practical about what you're saying right there. Um, This kind of chokes me up just thinking about what you're talking about. Um, you know, what what Jesus thought we were such a gift that he was willing to su- suffer such a horrendous beating um, because he valued me. And, and folks, years ago, I, you know, just like 
David, uh, you know, too, had all the head knowledge. <laughs> you know, I had the I had the theology, brother. You know what I mean? I had all that worked out right uh, until I um, had some people really coming against me hard. And 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 I've shared this when you were on before, David, with me, and I've shared it with you personally. How you were you your program helped me, um, a person who thought they had it all together, right? Uh, understand that I was getting my value from people because when the moment I lost it is when I realized how much I loved it. And, and I just recently went through some of that stuff again, David, um, by some people and all I could remember and thinking about was I get my value now from Christ. Amen. That program you did years ago, brother, it, it affected me huge and helped me to understand. And it made this time easier to deal with because I don't get my value from them anymore. I get my value from the Lord. And, and there were some struggles. I haven't perfected it. But I thank God for, for embracing something that was there all the time, but I couldn't see past my theology to grab a hold of that truth of what it means to understand, to be valued by Christ. Uh, it's a game changer. I just wanted to share that with you. Oh, Frank, that, every time I hear it, it blesses me. Uh, I'm honored beyond words. And, and, <clears throat> uh, and you know me, you know, I get choked it very easily. And for my audience that uh, may be tuning in for the first time, uh, you know, I get, I um it's not uncommon for me, and uh, when I think about how much the Lord loves his children and how much he loves that every one of us was once lost and how that love is expressed and how we don't know it. Um, and, Frank, you, you nailed it. You know, you said it. We're not, we're not perfected. And what, what you're describing, brothers and sisters, what Frank is describing is the process of 2 Corinthians 10.5 taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If something stings and hurts, okay, and I've, and I've begun to look into, wait, what is this whole identity and righteousness thing? What do you mean God loves me? Only unconditionally I've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, which means that he sees me the same way he sees his son. What happens is that when we get the sting of rejection, we now have a bedrock. To, to put that up against. We now can take that thought and line it up against the kingdom of God that lives in us. And we can begin to identify with the cloud of witnesses and, and the heroes of old that said this world was not worthy of them. And not worthy that because they were angry with the world. They died for love. The apostles died martyrs sharing the Great Commission. We have lost sight of that. They knew how much God loved his children, his creation, so much. They did the same thing. And as we, you know, in the United States, right, God's not asking us to be martyrs. He's asking us to come get to know him. That's it. He's just saying, okay, come, come get to know me a little more. Put, put the, you know, the, the YouTube channels maybe aside for a little bit and just come get to know me. Come get to see what it means to be well-pleased with you. 
And then what happens is we experience that sting of rejection. We can go back and say, oh, wow, Lord, that really hurt, but I am going to renew my mind. I am going to change and conform my thinking to your truth. You say I am loved beyond measure. I am fully pleasing. So it doesn't matter if these people don't like me. My self-worth will never change in your eyes, and that's all that matters. I do not need the worth of others. In fact, we can really be so bold to say we have no business. We are in idolatry, guys, if we're seeking the worth of others. It's an idol. Pride is to find worth apart from the gift of righteousness. That's pride, guys. Pride isn't about how you speak about yourself. It's about what you think within yourself. The pride of Satan is that he took his position as the covering cherub who stood before the fiery coals of heaven, and he said, no, 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 I'm going to exalt myself above what God has made me. That's pride. God says I've been made the righteousness of Christ. I am fully pleasing. I am holy. I am blameless. Which means nothing has anything on me. No one has anything on you. That means if I'm trying to garner worth or approval or a sense of self-esteem from others, I am exalting myself up apart from what God has made me to be. That's idolatry. And it's a far cry from what much of the body of Christ talks about idolatry, but that's the word of God. To seek worth apart from God is pride. Humility is to stand in right standing before God. What is our right standing? I am complete in his eyes. How we choose to relate to him is not the same as how he positionally made us. That's a choice. The choice of how we choose to live is up to us. God's already done on his end. He will never change the way he sees us. It's all on our end. And so as we begin to look at what are truly at the emotions, you know, going back earlier around, we talked about how do we feel. Here's another locating question. How do we feel about the coming judgments? where all who reject him will be placed in hell. Because God told us how it makes him feel. Right? Remember John 3:17. God did not send his son into the world to it, but to save it. Elsewhere it says he would desire that none should perish, but all come to, ever, to, uh, to eternal salvation. He desires that none should perish. We gloss over these verses because they just glide over the calluses of our heart, because we don't truly know how much he loves us. We can only love the way he loves to the degree we know it. So this is not a message in any way of condemnation. You can't fake it. We could try, but it's just exercising self-control. It's not exercising flowing in the love of Christ. And where we don't flow in the love of Christ, we'll turn to something else to comfort us. And for many of us, it's talk of the end times. It's talk of the judgments. It's anything that keeps us from having to deal with our own pain. I cannot begin to to say how many emails, how many uh, calls, correspondence I've gotten where people are asking me, when are the judgments coming? What seals are we in? Not because they care about the Great Commission and they say, I'm running out of time. How much time do I have to save my neighbor? How much time do I have to say to my brother who I haven't spoken to in a few years or, um, you know, the person that I coworker, <clears throat> or my parents or, or, or whoever? 
I want to know I've got a little more time. Well, the answer is, when is this coming? Because I just want to get out of here. I mean, my inbox gets flooded with that. David, would you please tell me how much longer I need to be on this earth? These, and this is from people in America. The people that I get in other parts of the world, they're not interested in that because they're already dealing with tremendous persecution and they want to talk about some of the things in the meat of the word. They want to talk about how to move in more authority to heal the sick. They want to talk in how they can experience the greater love of the Father. They want to talk about the Great Commission. And I'll be honest with you, for those that listen, because I know some people that tune into me across the other parts of the world, I feel unworthy, which I know is sin, but I'll be honest, I feel unworthy to correspond with the body of Christ that is being suffered uh, and, and being persecuted and losing home and land and estate. While here in America, we talk about the underground church as if we can't go out and, and walk with the Bible, as if we can't go talk to any stranger in a gas station or the convenience store about the love of Jesus. Please, you know, yeah. brothers and sisters, it, it, yes, go ahead, Frank. No, uh, David, it's, it's so true. Um, I, you know, I want the Lord to come bad, but in the, there's another part of me, though, that says I wish he would tarry a little bit more because, you know, i got so much family that don't know him. I'm sorry to get so emotional, but, you know, i got a lot of loved ones that aren't that don't know him yet personally and um as much as i want him to come i want more people to know and um yeah. i remember when 9-11 hit i remember it like i can remember that day so perfectly and i've often asked people you know what was their feeling anger fear david i'm going to tell you my feelings as as straight as i can i felt guilty. Lord, what am I doing? What am I wasting my time? I should be sharing the love of God more. I should be witnessing. At this time, our time is short. And I remember when 9-11 hit, I just felt this overwhelming burden of what am I doing with my life? We've got a moment of time on this earth to reach out to the lost. All this stuff, I would, I would rather somebody get close to the Lord, get out into the street, tell somebody about Jesus, than to listen to my program ever again, because it's about saving souls. Yeah. And I, we do warnings on this program. We warn, but you, if you're not sharing about Jesus, then I don't know what we're doing. You know, I want him yeah. to come, but I also want more of my family to accept. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. Just no, I hear you, Frank. It's I tough, know that's man. your heart. I, it's yeah. tough. Yeah. And and here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> right, telling people that we need to fulfill the Great Commission doesn't work. Because the commission is an overflow of our relationship and the depth of our intimacy. The, the lack of concern over the lost um, is not a word of condemnation. And brothers and sisters, please hear me. None of this is condemnation. This is what the Lord is doing in this season is he is shining his spotlight into our, the heart of the church. 
He is calling his church to great intimacy in this generation. That is one of the major components that are the seasons of Father's heart. One of the last, one of the, the, the things, the body of Christ, we need to grow into, we need to grow into maturity into, is understanding the seasons, understanding the times. And, and Frank, I remember 9-11 like it was yesterday too. I speak about that a little bit on my website because that was an extremely um, traumatic spiritual encounter that I had with the Lord as I sought the Lord's faith. Uh, face uh, in the coming days and weeks after that event. And um, he spoke to me about where the church is and what we need to do and, and, and where, what's, what, what, uh, the work he needs to do in me and in my heart and continuing to do in me. And the bottom line, guys, is that we only love to the degree we know we're loved. And he's calling us to say, do you church, my children, do you have the courage to dare to begin to believe how much you are loved? Find out who I am. Find out who you are as my child. That's the heart of the Lamb. Reconciliation. It was the Lamb that opened the scrolls, guys. Once we begin to understand him as the Lamb, we don't toss out the lion. I thank God for his perfect justice. Because I know I have an advocate, not against people. People are not our enemy. There's one enemy. Satan has blinded the minds of those who do not come to the gospel. They are our lost brothers and sisters. They're not the enemy. Your coworker that's buffeting you, the member in your fellowship that just, <laughs> you wonder if you actually ever did make a sincere commitment to Christ, they're in bondage because they themselves do not know the goodness of Jesus Christ shed abroad in their hearts. It's locked up in their spirit, man. All the love of the kingdom is in our spirit, man, our soul. The part of us that's been fractured and beaten and wounded and taught to believe lies about our self-worth needs to open up. Jesus said, behold, talking to the church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He is once again knocking at the door of the hearts of the body of Christ to let him in. He's already in our spirit, man. Our spirit is already in communion with the Holy Spirit. We've already been clothed in his righteousness. We've been reconciled, justified, redeemed. But he's knocking on the door of our soul. He wants to change our thinking. He wants to get a hold of our wounds and apply his balm of healing. He wants to restore what the canker worm has eaten away in our lives. Only then, church, can we understand the lion. Love manifested as him as the lion is his government. The government shall be upon his shoulders. It's a government of perfect holiness and love manifested in justice, no wrongdoing. Here's something that I want to get into, guys, and we've got to close this out a little bit. The word judge is an act that involves separation. If you look up the Greek word judge in the New Testament, what God judges, it means to thoroughly separate. And where we miss it because we misapply parables and teachings of Jesus. We ignore the nature of Jesus. We ignore all the love he showed to the sinners 
who we were, right? Who we were. We were sinners. Now we are the redeemed. We are the righteous of Christ, whether we feel that way or live that way. And the whole nonsense about, well, what does that mean? How much can someone sin? I'm not interested in that conversation. It's a silly conversation. It's a conversation focused on trying to pass judgment on other people that struggle. I'm not interested in how much I can sin. I'm interested in seeing the eyes of my Heavenly Father more clearly. I'm interested in feeling the heart throb of my Lord and Savior beat stronger than anything else. And I know I'm not alone. I know deep down in the body of Christ that is every one of your desire. But we've been sold a bill of goods to say it's difficult, it's mysterious. God is this wrathful dad, just like your earthly dad, that beat you or abused you or condemned you. That's not the God of the gospel. He spent three years on this earth showing us love. We throw out 1 Corinthians 13 and we quote Daniel in Revelation. There's a place for it. I've taught on it. I study it. I have a good friend of mine, Benjamin Baruch. We go back and forth. We sharpen iron, sharpens iron. But the body of Christ individually needs to embrace the Lamb and how much Jesus, the Father, Holy Spirit, loves you unconditionally forever, the end. As we do that, guys, we will begin to understand Romans 2.4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Let's look at, I want to look at two scriptures, guys. 1 Corinthians 3.14, Proverbs 13.24. Right, we can quote the Old Testament as long as the principle. The Bible is progressive revelation, guys, right? We never interpret the New Testament in the light of the old. Big mistake, big error. The Bible is progressive revelation. All the different dispensations of time, the Adamic, the Noahic, the Abrahamic, the Davidic, the Mosaic, all of them, the Israeli, all the covenants point to the manifestation of the new covenant, Jesus living inside of us, the Holy Spirit living in us. Everything points forward to the cross, and from the cross, it points to the throne room of the Father. Intimacy, reconciliation. Okay? I want to get sidetracked. All the principles of the Old Testament, the principles will align themselves to the nature of Jesus Christ. Here's some scriptures. If what we have built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved even though one is escaping through flames. Proverbs 13, 24. The one who spares his rod detests his child, but the one who loves his child is diligent in disciplining him. Hebrews 12, 6. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises, chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Guys, all manifestations of judgment is to separate sin from his creation. I say that again. The judgments of God, the lion of Judah, comes to separate that which is opposed to his nature. He will separate sin from what is holy. 
when his loving hand of discipline presses down upon our lives and upon this world is to get the world to wake up and shake off their slumber, both in the church first, because discipline, the Bible says, starts with the body of Christ, so that we can reflect his love accurately to a world that will begin to feel the shaking, so that we will receive the Lamb. We will never really get that or accept that until we're willing to accept that we are deeply loved. It is self-hatred and rejection that's rampant in the body of Christ that causes fear and insecurity and a cold heart. And Jesus said in the end times, the love of many will grow cold. Only the church has the love of God. That word love in the Greek is the word, the love for God, the God kind of love. The love of the church has grown cold, and it's not a message of condemnation. It's a wake-up call. It's a clarion call to return to his heart. And the way we return to his heart is by saying, Lord, I'm going to begin to find out what it means to be the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to begin to find out what it means to live a life where what other people think of me does not matter one bit because I have no business receiving love and affirmation from anyone but you. Jesus, our lion, is not a God of wrath toward his creation. It's a God that is raging against sin. The wrath of God is poured out on all ungodliness. Ungodliness are actions. The wrath of God is poured out on sin. Anyone who is not clothed in righteousness through accepting Christ will receive the judgment that falls upon sin. The lion reigns in order to destroy the power of sin from having dominion over the lives of his creation. Guys, that's the purpose of the judgments that are to come. That is the purpose of the, of the chastening that's on this nation. And the chastening does not start with the lost. It starts with the body of Christ that has rejected his heart out of ignorance and out of fear and out of pain. He's calling us home. He's calling us to begin to know the lamb that was slain for you. Know his righteousness. Isaiah 61.10 says, He's clothed us with robes of righteousness and garments of salvation. That prophetic word was fulfilled in the cross. And we, gave, we were given the deposit by the Holy Spirit. No other covenant had the Holy Spirit given to man. Everything pointed to the cross. And the judgments that are begun, the chastening, the chastisement, the loving discipline, the rod of correction, the burning fire is to purify us because he loves us and he wants intimacy. So, question. There are two locating questions and can wrap this up. How do we see him as the lion? Do we see him as one who loves us so much he's willing to discipline us? That he'll do whatever it takes to keep us from the destruction of sin in our daily walk and in relationship with others? Is that how we perceive the lion? For many of us, it's no. It's wrath and anger and 
yeah, for some reason I he saved me, and thank goodness uh, I'm not going to hell, but that person, this world, this nation, this Babylon, yeah, bring it on, Lord. Let's just send everyone to hell. If that was his heart, Jesus never would have gone to the cross. I mean, that's just not me. That's the Bible. It's just, it's just not sound theology. It's not the heart of the Father. It's not Scripture. It's not the Gospels. Uh, it'll be a little bit of a broken record here. The Old Testament, the Old Testament is interpreted in light of the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the epistles are interpreted in light of the Gospels. We do not invert that. We do not take the earth walk, the physical written record of the manifestation of the Father's nature in the flesh, in the form of his perfect son, the perfect image. We do not take that written record and invert it to fit the doctrines of the epistles. We do not take Daniel and Ezekiel and Revelation and make the Gospels shoehorn into doctrines that fit our anger and our wounds and the areas that we have been broken and beaten from a demonic world that doesn't know the love of God much more than we do. Guys, it's time to heal. The body of Christ is being called to his throne room. On this earth, while we are here, he is calling us to his heart. The pure and spotless bride does not start by outward acts of contrition. It does not start by us giving up our pack of cigarettes or our Sunday glass of wine or how much we swear. Jesus absolutely outright publicly condemned the Pharisees for that line of thinking. He said, you're whitewashed tombs. Clean the inside and then you will perform the outside. Guys, everything we do is meant to be an expression of the depth of our intimacy and relationship. He's calling us home. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. If we do not know his heart for you, the only way, guys, we can begin to see the land that was slain, we begin to embrace that the cross made us holy, blameless, and righteousness without conditions. We are fully pleasing, here's the key, guys, independent of our actions. It's called positional righteousness. How we choose to live our lives is what Galatians 6, 8 talks about. Whoever sows to sin will reap death in that area. Whoever sows to righteousness will reap life eternal. He's talking to born-again believers. We can't earn life eternal. He's not talking about our salvation. He's talking about reaping the kingdom in our walk. He's talking about reaping the blessings of the Sabbath rest, the God of peace that surpasses all understanding, the God of dunamis power, the worker of miracles, the one who said, greater works will you do, but don't go anywhere yet. Stay in Jerusalem until you have the Holy Spirit. Guys, we were given the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago. Now he's calling us to know him. So, Frank, that's what was on my heart when I was praying uh, about sharing and, and sharing some things with the body of Christ. Uh, 
and uh, hope it was a blessing. No, I, I, it was more than a blessing, David. I appreciate it. Um, I think you touched something deep here. Um, uh, we, um, when we understand who we are in Jesus, uh, we stop the fight against sin, and we embrace the one who redeems from sin. And, and David, my position has been for many years, but and it wasn't until I, you know, really started to find out to get my value. But I've always known that the the key to repair is to focus on the one who delivers and stop fighting this sin on our own. It's just a it's an absolutely a wasted battle that will never end in victory. But drawing close to God and and embracing who He says we are and and, and embracing what he's done and, and what it means to us is it's a game changer in our walk with the Lord. And holiness won't be your struggle. It'll be your life because Christ will be our lives. And so, David, thank you for sharing tonight's message um, of understanding you know, who Jesus is. Even when God chastens us, folks, it's because he loves us. I mean, which one of you wouldn't do whatever it took to save one of your children? Even if it meant tough love, you would do whatever it takes. And yet our motives aren't even pure. And God sometimes has to chasten, and his motives are pure because he'll do whatever it takes to save his children. And I'm just so thankful for that, David. And I appreciate you... um, bringing that all together this evening, understanding the character, or actually understanding who we are in the character of God, knowing the lion and the lamb. Brother, I appreciate it, and just God bless you. And I have a special request, um, David, I was thinking about it while you were talking about this at the end. Um, You know, I've been at the shelter this week, and had a man come up to me. Um, I've known him before. He was uh, in the homeless shelter the other year, and he'd gotten out, and he kind of got straightened back up, but he fell back off the bandwagon. And just the other couple, like not even two weeks ago, he he wanted to end his whole life. He was going to jump off the bridge, and uh, it was over. And uh, anyways, thank God they got him into the fifth floor at the hospital. And... uh, I could just see the hurt in his eyes. Well, then his son calls up and that says, you know, dad, I, you know, I know you were, what was going to happen. He's like, I was ready to commit suicide too. And he, and he, he just looked at me tonight, David, just before we came on the program, he says, he says, I don't know. What do I say to my son? I, I've done everything wrong. You know, I've, 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 I've messed up everything. How can I even speak any words to my son? And I could feel this man's pain. And and this guy needs Jesus. His name's Cecil. And David, I'm asking if you could just close this program out in prayer. And if you would just lift this brother up. His hurt is so deep. And um, And for all those out there that are experiencing the same things, man. If you could just pray for us. Absolutely. I'd be out here. Let's do it. Lord, your word says that you 
have been given all authority. And because you have been given all authority, that we will do things in your name. It's not about us. It's not about our perfection. It's about the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. And so in the authority of Jesus Christ, I speak in and oversee his life. The part of the fracturing his soul that's hurt and wounded and fractured. Lord Jesus, I just invite you and your goodness and your kingdom and your nature to overtake him. I thank you for divine encounters. I thank you for Romans 2, 4, your goodness overtaking him. I speak life, restoration over that man. I thank you for ministering the kingdom. I speak around the atmosphere over him, peace. Lord, you even gave us in your greatness the ability to release peace over people's lives. Father, I speak peace over him, and I thank you for sending those into his life that would be given place of influence. I thank you for divine encounters. Thank you for sealed up conversations, Lord, that will speak to him. I thank you that your word promises to go forth with power, confirming you, not us. We are just just your children. It's all about you. I release that power, Lord God, manifest in his life in the form of your love and your goodness and the gospel, the good news being shed abroad in his heart. And for all in the body of Christ that are scared, that are weary and tired, that are afraid, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command that spirit of fear to be silent. That spirit of antichrist that has run rampant through the airways in the body of Christ, that speaks of you, Lord Jesus, but denies the power of the gospel. I bind in Jesus' name with the hearts and the minds of all the listeners. Lord, I just release your goodness that your word is poured out to all of our hearts. Thank you that you have forgiven us in all the areas, Lord God, we've fallen short because you've clothed us in your righteousness. I thank you for that revelation overtaking us and the blessings of the kingdom of heaven, the blessings of your love overtaking this generation. I speak peace over the body of Christ and over these listeners, Lord, over my brothers and sisters. I just feel the, just the fear and the pain and the discouragement. So, Father, I ask that this time was a time of refreshing and just a small beginning of seeds being planted deep in the hearts of, of your body that would grow, that they would be watered, that they would be guarded and cherished, and that those who are out there that feel alone would know that they are not alone, and we still live in a land we can freely and openly seek you and seek the fellowship. I thank you for divine connections being made in this hour. And people meeting 
just to pray and to fellowship and to learn how to hear your voice and know your love and to find out about your goodness and what it means to have a thriving relationship that's built upon moment-in-moment encounters with you and not upon things that distract us. Thank you, your will being brought forth in the body of Christ in this hour. Bless them with life. Bless them with love and peace. Be whole in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. May God bless you and your ministry and your family. And thank your wife for me for allowing you to have some time here with us tonight away from the family. And uh, God bless you, brother. And God bless each person here that's listening. May this message go deep within the soul, understanding that we are somebody in Christ. If the king of all kings laid down his life, that's because he felt we were worth it, and he loves us. And so with that, I will say to everybody, this is Brother Frank and Brother David from the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom.